Let's stand if you would. We'll turn to page number 800.
you thankful this morning? You ought to be because I almost turned my mic on. That became a quartet. So you ought to be thankful I remembered to mute it. You almost were unthankful. I appreciate it. I love that song. That's one of my favorite. That's on my favorite list on my, uh, on my music app. And so I appreciate that song this morning. John chapter 5, if you would. John chapter 5. I'll tell you what I'm not thankful for is red squirrels. You say, why? Because when you're sitting in the woods trying to hunt, they will get up above you, act like they're going to attack you, and bark at you and scare the deer away. I, I don't know what a useful red squirrel would be, but I'm not thankful for them this morning. And that's all I got. So everything else is good. John chapter 5 is where we will find our text this morning. Pastor asked me a number, I mean a while back, which is amazing. I, which I think he's going to stop asking me because the last two times I've preached has been because he's been sick. So I'm not praying for that. Uh, but uh, he, he might just say, okay, I'm done uh, asking you to preach, and uh, that way he'll stay healthy. But uh, God knew however many months back that, that we'd be here, and uh, he'd be there. So we, we thank God that he saw the need before we did. And uh, he had started working in my heart about a message. He, he said, you know, it's month of missions. God had started working in my heart, not pastor, uh, for a message. And um, so I, I, you know, to try to, to look, and then he told me all the things he was going to be preaching on, because he's the senior pastor. And uh, so I, I said, all right. I said, good. I said, I can, I can fit right in there uh, with uh, where I think God's leading me. So uh, we're going to be in John chapter 5 this morning, and we're going to read the first uh, nine verses, I think, uh, right around there. And uh, look at a few things and hopefully be a blessing to us in the way of missions. John chapter 5, the Bible tells us, After this was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So we're continuing from chapter number 4, and Jesus was in uh, Galilee uh, doing some miracles, and he's now moving up into Jerusalem. Verse number 2 tells us, Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatever de disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day, was the Sabbath. We find here an accounting of a miracle of Christ, of this man, who for 38 years, you know, what's interesting about this passage is a lot of times when they're talking about somebody who had a disease or an infirmity, they'll say from birth. But it's not the case in this passage. And if you look a few verses later, Jesus comes back to him in verse number 14. He says, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And so it's thought by many 
commentaries that this man had been for 38 years in a place of his own making. That he had done something uh, sinful, that he maybe uh, he had been engaged in some practice, maybe he had something, somehow, somewhere, he had gotten hurt, and now he could not move. And for 38 years he had been in this case. And yet Jesus comes to him at this pool, and he picks him out of this crowd. And aren't you thankful that God picks you out of the crowd one day? And he asked him a simple question. I mean, it's almost a question that is nonsensical. Like, why would you even ask that? I mean, my kids will do that sometimes. Uh, Monday through Thursday, up until Friday afternoon after they're done with school, there is no watching of anything on the television. There's no nothing. And yet sometimes, one will come and say, can I... And it's, it's a question that shouldn't be asked. Because you already know the answer. And yet Jesus Christ makes a point to ask this question to this man, wilt thou be made whole? And yet the man doesn't answer him. He it's a yes or no, and I do it with my kids a lot on that, it's a yes or no answer. There are two choices. Yes or no. Nothing else. It's a yes or no question. And yet he says, sir, I have no man. I have no man. And so I want to spend the next few moments thinking about this. That we need to be somebody's someone, not somebody's no one. I mean, we need to be somebody that people can come to that are sitting somewhere in darkness and need help and tell them how to get to where they need to go. And not have somebody to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and say, I have no man. And so let's pray, and then we're going to look at this for a little bit. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray you'd be with us this morning. Help us, dear God, as we preach. And I pray that your thoughts would be the thoughts that are said. Your words would be the words that are said. And Lord, just get me out of the way, I pray. And, and use me as your vessel. I pray we'd fill your spirit. Touch our hearts. And be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And so what we have here is, uh, as I called it here, we, we have a situation. There's a situation going on here. There is an evident need. There, I mean, the need is, and he said there was a multitude there, uh, and, and uh, impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered. I mean, the, you, you, you consider any, any course of any kind of disease or whatever there was, they were there. There was a big group of people. I mean, it, it was not something that was hidden, so to speak. So the need was evident. I would say that as we look around our nation, we can see a need Amen. is evident. That song that we sing so often in missions time, people need the Lord. It's never been more evident than at this time, I think. Our nation needs God. Amen. And if you can't look out and see that, then we need to take the blinders off and, and, and get our head out of the sand and see that there is a need and there are multitudes of people that need God. John chapter 4 and verse number 34, Jesus is talking here. He says, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Stay not ye there yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And then he goes on, and we, and we normally use that, that, that passage there around missions time. But then in verse number 36, he says, And he that re 
reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sing you to reap that which whereon you bestowed no labor, other men labored, and you are entered into their labor. You know, a lot of times I think we look at missions uh, with this type of attitude that yes, people need God, and, and yes, our nation needs God, and yes, the people in Kenya need God, and the people in uh, China need God, and the people in Liechtenstein need God, and uh, yes, we know that's right. We know it's right to give to missions. We know we need to pray for our missionaries. We know that we need to give to help support our missionaries, but what can we really do beyond that? And as I got to thinking about missions, missions is not just a matter of uh, someone going to a foreign field. Missions is really a matter of our heart being right with God to reach those that are around us. Mission starts at home. My Jerusalem is somebody else's uttermost. And somebody else's, or what an uttermost would be to me is somebody else's Jerusalem. And I am tasked with the, the, the task of reaching Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost. But a lot of times we focus on the uttermost and forget what's before that. And so the situation here is there is an evident need. It, it is there. And yet the numbers are exhausting. I mean, he says there, there's a great multitude, not just a few people, but a great multitude. And I think so often we, we get bogged down by the fact that how can we actually, you know, the Bible tells us to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel and, and to reach these people. And yet there's so many, but even Jesus' apostles would get overwhelmed by the task at hand and said, Lord, uh, he would tell them, you know, in the feed of the 5,000, he said, you know, feed these people. And they said, Lord, how, how can we do this? We can't. But Christ can. We look at the need and get overwhelmed and exhausted at what is there in front of us, forgetting that greater is he that's in me. We, we forget that little phrase that I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And the sad thing is a lot of times we, we, we get overwhelmed and we just give up. We just give up. There, there have been times in my life I thought, you know, is it even worth it anymore to hand out a track or, or to invite somebody to church? Or, and then somebody shows up that you invited that you really didn't think would come. You almost kind of just half-heartedly invited them just because the preacher said you needed to. Or we're in a Sunday school campaign. We're in a Sunday school campaign. Can you come to church? I need you so we can shave Brother Steve's head. And they tell you yes, and then they don't. And then so you ask somebody else, and they tell you yes, and they don't. And so you ask somebody else thinking, well, they're not going to come. It's not a Sunday school campaign no more. And then they show up. Amen. Right? Why? Because it's not about us. The need is evident, the numbers are exhausting, but the nearness of God is encouraging. It might seem hopeless to us, and we might seem helpless, but the nearness of the answer, you think about this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You realize that every day that we wake up, somebody else wakes up on their day of salvation. Think about that. One day you woke up, and it was your day. 
And God stopped by your place where you were laying and said, Wilt thou be made whole? And it was your day of salvation. We forget. I have a hard time remembering other people's birthdays. I remember my own. Because it's mine. And I'm expecting things. I mean, from my family. I remember why. Because it deals with me. I remember when I got saved. God did a work in me. And He still is. But think about it. Today, somebody woke up to go to church or, or, or go to a rescue mission. Or, or maybe they're in prison. And it's their day to get saved. Why? Because God's always near and that's encouraging. He tells us in Psalms, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him. And yet he writes over in Psalms 113, who is like unto the Lord of our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. What things are in earth? Us. It says, He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. What are we made of? Dust. God humbles Himself to look on our poor state and to raise us up. So we find the situation while is a bit overwhelming. It's, it's not overwhelming God. And then the second thing I look at here is I see the setting. Where exactly is this taking place? Well, it's interesting that you should ask that. Because I knew you would. In verse number 1 it says, Now there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So here we are in Jerusalem. So this would be, as we would say in our missions outreach, this would be where we live. Our Jerusalem. It says, By the sheep market a pool. Now you've got to think about this. The sheep market is what they traditionally said was where the sheep would be brought to be uh, held and taken care of until they were taken up to the temple to be sacrificed. So it's a place here where they, it's, it's, it's kind of loud, it's kind of smelly, it's kind of stinky. It's, it's, it's not necessarily a place that you'd want to be next to, and yet God chose that place to put a pool. God doesn't care where it is necessarily as so much as who's there that he can help. You know, God chooses sometimes to put a pool, like we said, right in the middle of a prison. And we've seen men get saved out of some horrible things and God do a work in their life. And yet, us who are dignified, God chose to put a pool right here by the altar of a church where we got in. You know what? It doesn't matter where the pool is. God can do a work. And so the setting here is, is we got this pool and we find the provision of God. God put it there. I mean, God created it. God placed it there for a reason. And then this pool, it's, it's stirred supernaturally, exhibiting these healing powers for any ailment that plagued them. You know, there's not a sin that God can't forgive you of, save just not believing. I mean, no matter what you did, 
God can save you. Aren't you thankful for that? That, that no matter if you were a murderer, a liar, just ugly, <laughs> God looks at you and says, I can save that. I, I can take care of that. I can wash that away. I can take the blood of Christ and, and apply that and no more will I remember your sin. Think about it. As far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our transgressions from us. He said, I don't even... Not that I forgot them. I choose not to remember them. You know how hard that is? I, I have yet to be able to choose not to remember something. Forget it? Yeah, I'll forget it. Choose not to remember it? I will probably remember it. And so we see that God, He, he makes provision here. He puts this pool. He, he sets it in this place. He stirs the water supernaturally. And, and he, he wants to help some people here. That word Bethesda was something that I, I found interesting. In looking at this, it means house of mercy. So here we have something of a, a, a place, a pool, and it's got kind of a covering, and, and it's called Bethesda, the house of mercy. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Romans chapter 11. He tells us in verse number 32, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. Think about the fact that God had mercy on us when we didn't even realize he was having mercy on us. That in your day of salvation, in my day of salvation, I was sitting in a place called mercy. Mercy. In Ephesians Chapter 2, it says, But God who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Now, what's cool here is we got the house of mercy. Now there are two things that when I pray every morning, I thank God several things, but the two first things are I thank God for His mercy and His grace. How many porches are there? Five. What's five the number of? Grace. We got a house of mercy filled with porches of grace. Think about that. When God provided this place, He called it Bethesda, and He placed it in the pool, and He covered it with this covering called mercy, and then He put some porches around it called grace. You can't get in without mercy and grace. That's all that God's doing just leading up to this man getting healed. Now you think about at the RU banquet last night, uh, I love hearing the testimonies of the people. And, and one that always blesses my heart is Miss Lorraine. 
And I did not know. I knew the Miss Lorraine had come, gotten saved because of door knocking. What I didn't know, how many remember the bags that we put out? Anybody? The young couples ought to remember because we spent hours filling the bags on young couples activities when I was still a young couple. So it's been a little while. But we would have this plastic bag and we'd put a John and Roman, we'd put uh, an informational thing about the church and we'd put an RU track in there. I did not know that, how long have you been coming, Miss Lorraine? 10 years. So I've been here 12, so I'm, I'm guessing probably around 11 years ago then because that's about time we did it. So about 11 years ago, somebody went by their house with a bag and hung it on their door. And they took it and they pulled everything out and she kept that RU track. And then when it was her day of salvation, somebody came by her house where God had already been working and spoke to her heart. She got saved. Why? Because God had provided some mercy and put a porch of grace and put it in her house so that when her day of salvation was here, she was ready. This man's been laying here 38 years in a condition probably of his own making. And yet God provided for him a place. 38 years he's been laying there. He hadn't been able to get in the pool. He, he couldn't get in by himself. Miss Lorraine, Brother Gene, they, they couldn't get in by themselves. Somebody went by and, and, and dropped off that, that packet and, and it worked. And then there was a track placed in their hand, butterfly track, I think. Is that correct? A little butterfly track. Why? Because she likes butterflies. Of course. God doesn't do anything on accident. And we see here the, these porches of grace. Uh, I mean, the way God weaves these meanings throughout His Word is just amazing if we'll stop and look at it. And so under this house of mercy, these porches of grace, we have this multitude. We have this place of healing. And so we have Christ that comes into this busy place. Now, what I want you to see here is the fact that Christ was going up to Jerusalem for a feast. And so the, the feast here was a time of people coming to Jerusalem to worship God. Some people did. Some people didn't. The good Jews went up to Jerusalem for the feast. They would make a sacrifice to do that. They were commanded to go up at this time. Some people stayed home. They, they, they didn't care about doing what God said. They didn't care about going up to the feast. They didn't, they didn't care about it. But as they're going up, they're passing by this place. Jesus looks upon this man. What, what do we read? He says, lift up your eyes. He was obedient in the commandment to go up to the feast. He was Jesus. I mean, I would figure wherever he was, that's where the feast should be. But instead, he followed the law and followed the commandments of his father and went up to Jerusalem for this feast. So we have the, the situations here, the setting where God's provided all this stuff, 
And yet what did we need? Somebody who would be obedient to go where they were supposed to go. We can have all the commands. We can have all the flyers. We can have all the door hangers. We can have everything we can possibly have to help people. There's a porch. There's a house. There's a pool. But somebody had to be obedient to go to help this man. And not just obedient, but we see here that Christ was observant. He says, and he looked, I believe is what it says, and he saw him. He looked and he saw. I cannot tell you how many times to my shame that I've looked and looked right through people, no doubt. When God is probably clearly speaking to my heart, the Spirit is clearly moving in my heart, that there is somebody that I need to help. And I'm too busy serving God. These people were going up to the feast. They're going up to worship God. There's Jesus, His 12 apostles, and yet the only one who turned aside to help was Jesus. Consider this. If he'd been there 38 years, I'm assuming he'd been by the pool for a good portion of that. How many people do you think had been healed from their illness in that time? I don't have a clue. I'm going to guess a lot. Yeah, nobody got healed stayed to help him. No, nobody turned back and said, you know what, God healed me from my plague, from my illness for my sickness I'm going to help get other people into the pool how can we be calloused to what God has done for us and not be willing to help other people give freedom from what God's given us freedom from here we have our Savior who was obedient he was following the commands of his father he was observant he was looking to be a help. He was looking to help this man. He, he, he knew it. You said, well, that was Jesus Christ. Yeah. Who do I have dwelling inside me? Greater is he that is in me. And so we can't use an excuse that, well, he would, no, God wants to speak to us to work through us to help somebody else. And so we see here that he was obedient, he was observant. Why? Because he was in his occupation, which was to be about his father's business. From the age of 12, remember the, the story about Jesus staying behind and his parents that went looking for him for three days. Three days. And they found him in the temple and he said, why are you looking for me? I, I, I'm just going about my father's business. And so he was in the occupation that God had given him. You say, well, my occupation is not to be a pastor or a preacher. No, but we've all been called to be Christians. And we've all been commanded to go. And I, I think in, in the way of missions, we need to understand that we've got to start at home. If we do not reach the folks here, we will not be able to send people there. Because if our church goes the way of many churches, and in 10 to 15 to 20 years there is no church... There can be no missionaries. So if we not, do not do the command of Christ here, there's not going to be somebody to be able to do the command of Christ there. 
And we, we think so often of foreign missionaries, but mission starts at home. At home. The flag that we have flying up here every service is the American flag and the Michigan flag. That's where we start. That, 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 that's where we are. And so his occupation was to be about his father's business. It's interesting, I think, if you'll turn me to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. find in these first few verses the story of a certain lame man it says and it says now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms of them that entered into the church so here's two of the apostles they're doing what they're supposed to do they're being obedient. They're going up to the temple. They're, they're going up to pray. They're, 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 they're engaged in Christian service. It says, Hussein, Peter, and John about to go into the temple asked an alms. What does it say? Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. And then, said, then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It says he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. You know, I think a lot of times we like to just throw money at missions and consider that our part. I give to missions. I give in the offering to missionaries. I give. I... But Peter said, hey, money ain't going to help what's wrong. Now, money helps to get missionaries to the foreign field. But we need to be about our father's business in the home field. Look in Acts chapter 8 real quick. We're going to read this and then we will definitely beat the Methodist to the buffet today. Acts chapter 8 and uh, we're going to look... Uh, down in verse number 26. We'll start down there. It's about Philip the evangelist. It says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, and to the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of all Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit, we got to be Spirit-led. Spirit-led. Said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Then hear what the eunuch says. And he said, How can I except some man should guide me. That sounds an awful lot like the man sent by the pool that said, Sir, I have no man. And it says there, uh, he said, and he desired Philip that he should, would come up and sit with him. You know, 
The thing is, there are people that want what we have. They want what we have. And they're sitting out there under the mercy and under the grace of God, under the wrath of God, waiting, waiting for somebody to help them get into the pool. And it would be a sad epitaph for our church that somebody would die within the shadow of this building and stand before God and say, I had no man. I had no man. It would be sad that somebody would die next door to me and say, I had no man to help me get into the pool. I think we need to consider, and, and I'll be honest, I don't do enough. Studying this, this message, God just whooped me. I want to be somebody's man. I want to be somebody's someone, not somebody's no one. That they would say, no one told me. No one reached me. No one helped me to get to where I needed to go to get what God had for me. We need to be somebody's man. Let's pray, Father.